Hi and welcome to a new episode of the State of the Net podcast. I'm Paolo Valdemarin. And I'm Ewan Semple. And we're still free. Well, well <laughs> not as in roaming free, no. Well, no, I mean, it's it's uh, you can listen to this and you have not paid. And if you did pay, you didn't pay us. Uh, but the news today is that Joe Rogan is moving to Spotify. And I'm still recovering from Russell Brand having moved to Luminary. I still, I still miss Russell Brand's podcast, but I am not, not, not going to encourage them to move to these platforms. And you are, do you also like Joe Rogan, right? Yeah, well, I'm not following it. You know, it's such a shame because, you know, bloody media. The whole point of podcasting was it was a connection between individuals and people wanted to listen to them. And why do you have, why do you need some intermediary that then starts charging extra money? You know, and I don't want a stable of celebrities from Luminary. I just want to listen to Russell Brand. You know, well they have lost one listener. <laughs> yeah, I like they care. I have the millions. I guess I wonder how Russell Brand is doing on Luminary. I mean, I'm sure that he's got paid, but uh, in terms of... Yeah, I, w- I want him to beg to come back. Uh, in terms of traffic, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand why they're trying to close these deals. It, it uh, you know, makes sense for Spotify to attract people. Um, it, it would make sense if they would keep it free. I mean, yeah. if... If it was a solution where I could still listen to it uh, and, you know, it's a way for me to find out more about Spotify or maybe, you know, put some ads in or something. But even with the, with the you know, I, I, as if, as if maybe I'm being contradictory, but I would pay Joe Rogan or Russell Brand directly. I mean, if they set up a Patreon site, I would subscribe. I would pay for it. I pay for the Thursday night um, virtual pub quiz because I value it and I want it to continue. I just don't want it to be stuck behind some media company. That, that's my bigger issue, not the money necessarily. Well, I mean, I understand the strategy for a media company to try to attract these stars to get more customers. And, uh, you know, it does make sense. It is probably good for podcasting because... Uh, you know, at least in the case of Spotify, there is a huge amount of people that have Spotify accounts and probably yes. are not using podcasts, and they might find out about podcasts because Joe Rogan is available. Um, something that I actually find quite interesting is that um, if I look at statistics of who is listening to our own podcast, it's all over the place. I mean, there is quite a few more, probably more sophisticated people that use, uh, um, you know, the Apple um, application. But then there is plenty of people that just click play on the on the web page. Interesting. I've often wondered that when we share the links. Yeah. So when you when you know there is uh, there is some people that use podcasting tools. There are other people who don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in the same way, like I have started blogging again for the last couple of months, but I realize that uh, the number of people using aggregator is tiny. So. How do people find out about my blog posts? Mostly because I post on social media websites. It's funny the whole business of subscription or or just repeated access to things and trying. Well, I was going to nearly say trying to get an audience. I don't think either of us are terribly worried about getting an audience, but just encouraging people to listen and making it easy is still not straightforward, is it? And I was 
you know, going through another phase of being slightly disgruntled with posting onto Facebook or Twitter and I don't care too much, but being slightly aware of or bothered about what reactions were instead of going through another phase of thinking, oh, I can't be bothered with this. I'll just, you know, come out of the social media platforms, post to my blog, and if they're interesting enough, interested enough to keep reading me, then that's that's fine, you know? Uh, and I still might do that, because I, I, I think I have this sort of very, I mean, having worked in the media most of my working life, I still have this very ambivalent relationship with professional media, and, and anything that sort of smacks of you know, growing an audience or, or whatever just makes me nervous. And even down to my daughter recommended a, a podcast, um, How to Fail, by the author of the book of the same name with a guy called Mo Goddard, who used to be head of Google X. And, a, you know, an interesting guy and talking about sort of stuff that we, we talk about here. But with this journalist lady who was who, who's presenting it, who just was trying to sound like a professional broadcaster, interviewing him. And sort of just kept getting in the way of it, you know. So, that, so I guess what I'm coming around to saying is, I like kind of like authentic, amateurish, you know, not terribly professional, you know, like like us uh, content. Anything that starts trying to be something else, I'm just, you know, not a fan. I get it, but you know, on the other hand, I, I mean, I'm not trying to build an audience, but uh, I know that there is some people that care enough to, you know, read what I write, but they only get there because they find the post uh, on Facebook or on Twitter. Otherwise, they wouldn't. So I can say, well, I don't care about posting this on Facebook, but it would mean that these people would just not. I mean, they will not start using aggregator. They will never. There are no other means. I mean, I know that some... Bloggers have started just offering subscriptions, I mean, free email subscriptions so that you can just, you know, get an email whenever a post is created. Well, that, that I mean, I've had on my blog, you can subscribe via email as well as RSS. And there's a fair number of people do that, actually. Yeah, so you could do that. But say, really? <laughs> email? Well, but you see, a lot of people, a lot of the time is still spent in email. You know, that that's where they spend a you know, percentage of their days, I guess. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, to be honest, I, I, one of the companies I work with is uh, specializing in sending daily briefing via email, and it is uh, a quite good and successful business, and people do, read the, do appreciate reading the news in their mailbox every morning. I mean, they yeah. have an app, they have other, you know, a website, but mostly you push information uh, through email. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll figure out how to turn on the feature on my own <laughs> website. Well, it's, a, it's such a fine line, though, isn't it? You, even just using pushing information, it's like my wife Penny's working for a company that are trying to improve their social media output, and it's such a slippery slope. I mean, we were talking about this the other night. We, we, we're living near where the HS2 is going to pass by, and we get letters from HS2 community letters kind of thing and the most recent one was about newts and reptiles and an eight eight week long period of work moving them right and i was i found myself thinking well i'm very pleased that you're making the effort to move them but just rather you weren't taking up the bloody countryside in the first place and it was just this funny folksy friendly email, um, paper letter that came through the door 
in a situation where most of us really hate the fact that the thing's coming anywhere near us, you know? And I find that whole awkwardness of organisations trying to talk to you like your friend, <laughs> you know, it's, it's disturbing. I agree that the, I mean the the big difference here is not the channel is uh, the the voice is uh, the fact and there are some companies that are actually pretty good mm-hmm. I mean it's it's uh, I there is a company here in London called uh, Spoke that mm-hmm. uh, they sell trousers and uh, I mean their email and they, and they spam me all the time and actually I read their messages because they are mm-hmm. so nice they're clever they yeah. you know yeah. with a little bit of hint of irony they clearly understand who their customers are and uh, you know once a week I'm saying oh maybe you're gonna buy another pair of trousers <laughs> and I don't need them but it's like hmm it's so you can have pretty effective uh, well and there's, there's, there's a local authority I think we might have spoken about this before our Buckinghamshire chief exec sends out weekly emails, and they're really, really good. You know, they're really informative, they're well-written, they're not trying to be sort of down with the kids or cheesy, you know, they're just straightforward. But I, th- I don't know. I think if you're providing information that people want, then you go away. <laughs> for example, I love the the Twitter account or maybe Facebook account for the local Ealing police. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a post some time ago doing some other activity they found some packets of drugs and they posted a picture and they basically said uh, if this is yours please let us know we'll come to pick you up if you need to <laughs> and it was like it yeah was, i love stuff like that yeah and it was funny because you would not expect this tone of voice to come from you know the police force and it mm-hmm. was actually nice it was very yeah. Yeah, clearly there is some guy on the other side writing stuff and he has a sense of humor <laughs> they needed a sense of humor in wales i saw a story about a guy um who was arrested by three armed police you know with the whole gear the machine guns the body armor the lot walking around this lake in wales um, because he was carrying a sword and dressed up in a in a cloak, and uh, turns out he was a Dungeons and Dragons uh, nut and, and was testing out how heavy the gear was. <laughs> and somebody reported this guy running around the the lake carrying a sword. That must, that must have been an interesting encounter. <laughs> I, think, I think both sides thankfully had a sense of humour about it. <laughs> I think this kind of leads us in the. Uh, it's speaking of people going and. Walking around, Mo- moving, getting out. Yeah. Did you hear the appeal? And I think some area in the Lake District telling people, "Don't yes. come here." Yes. Yes, this is touristic destination. Do not come here. Yeah. Yes, you're legally allowed to come here, but do, please don't. I mean, t- tourism, the, the whole industry, must be in a pretty tight spot. Oh, well, I was talking to a friend who's. Uh, she used to be in the United Nations in the Maldives. She has, actually, I think she might be going back. But, uh, you know, a, a, an economy almost 100% dependent on tourism, and they're just in a mess, you know. And uh, as the UN trying to support recovery, you know, what money would you put on which industry to be the one to send them towards? You know, what what, what what's going to thrive after all of this? And, you know, we were talking before we, we started the podcast about about travel and... You know, I find, you know, it's interesting that the Facebook feed comes up and reminds me that it's a year ago today that I was flying across the interior of um, Australia. And 
you know, I've been lucky to see so many parts of the world, some of them many, many times, and I'm finding myself really conflicted about it because, you know, I, I enjoy looking up at the sky and having clear sky instead of contrails, and I get kind of grumpy when a flight goes over and I look it up on flight 24 to see, you know, what the bastards are doing breaking the breaking the rules, but um, that would be very disingenuous of me just to immediately get back on planes and start flying around the world again, so I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I mean, speaking of as somebody who sort of based his life on the fact that it is easy to fly between the UK and Italy, um, so for, you know, still having half of a family in Italy and my job here, I, I actually, I did book a flight home on the 2nd of July. I'm like, I'm literally on the first flight out of, out <laughs> of here. Uh, still not sure if that is going to happen. I'm still figuring out, uh, you know, probably I'll buy a full hazmat suit to to travel. Um, Don't forget to take pictures. Absolutely, but uh, and then I'll post them on the podcast. Of course. Uh, but uh, but I mean, the idea of not being able to do that is. I mean, I'm not sure. I would. I don't know. I that would mean making some important life decisions. If easy, you know, flight across Europe were not available anymore. Yeah. So it's. I've been thinking about this uh, a lot, and uh, honestly, I think that it will probably go back to what it was maybe i mean maybe there is going to be a little bit less business travel because we have probably proven <laughs> that uh, well also works. the businesses have to recover in the first place as well but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah there will be less business travel because there right. will be less businesses yeah uh, but in terms of uh, you know traveling and going places and seeing the world i mean i i think it's a good it's a good thing every you know plane load of uh, weird british tourists that lands in trieste and uh, and you know vice versa of weird italian tourists that went land in london it's a good thing is people meeting other people and yeah. learning about other experiences and you and can't do them. that uh, remotely you can't do that by reading books so no that's no i know i i, I uh, yes, I, I agree totally. Nor, nor by just connecting virtually or or whatever. I think there is that thing of experiencing other cultures that you have to be there, really. Yeah, and there are environmental aspects related to this. So, I'm fine with it being, you know, maybe a little bit more expensive and being something mm -hmm. that I mean, more I'm of a special fine. thing. Yeah, I'm fine with a, with a situation where, you know, you need to be mindful because, you know, you spend two, three hundred pounds and not 50. But I wouldn't want that to become impossible or, you know, only for the quote unquote super rich, uh, because uh, I think we would all be, I mean, I think, I think that the world would be a worse place for that. So interesting, though, because I mean, I'm working with some friends on a offering for chief execs around combining all the different things that are happening into something that that could be quite different, and it includes all the things about ways of working and expectations of working from home or needing an office or 
multinational stuff as well. But you know, even just things like the commute in and out to London, um, you know, I know a lot of people who are thinking really seriously about: Do I really want to sit on that tube for an hour, packed with other people, to sit in an office packed with other people, and? Not just that, but I noticed stuff recently, some really good and interesting work that London, uh, the GLA is doing around making more of the city more easily navigable by cycling or, or foot. And, uh, you know, even, even more than it is now. And, you know, all of the, it's just, it would be such a shame if we just rushed back into rushing everywhere and, and causing the same damage. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's... Uh, <laughs> I find it interesting because there is a lot of people in my bubble that are saying the same thing. I mean, honestly, we're fine, right? It's uh, I, I I think I I wrote a post earlier today saying that you know it's a it's the situation for introverts who can cook. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. we are fine, right? It's not like we need to meet other people in person. Yeah, we can do friends anyway, so. On the other hand, uh, I can see how there is benefit. I mean, uh, there was a, a very good comment from a friend in my in this book post saying, you know, how you, when you meet other people in person, you can be silent. And for the first time, I realized, yeah, that's actually true. You know, if you you know if we meet and go for a walk, we're not talking all the time. There are times where we just walking right you don't need to talk all the time and uh, we're not used to that anymore because all these i mean because if you're on a zoom call it's going to be weird if you just sit there and silent. it's that horrible thought that we go back into office you're never going to be talking all the time at really high volume well yes but on the other hand uh, on the other point only one at a time have you seen that fantastic video of what offices would be like if they if they operated like uh conference calls yeah, yeah but it's uh, so i don't know I, I i do think that there are going to be benefits that it will be stick with um yeah. but on the other hand uh, you know hopefully we can make the best out of this and you know get the good bit and lose the the bad bit but most definitely i think that you know as we already said if nothing else for real estate purposes Companies will just start losing offices. Don't need them. Well, it, but it's interesting because I mean, as part of these conversations with this, this other group of people, connecting with property uh, brokers and agents for commercial property in London, and you know, one of them was reporting one of the property owners saying, "Well, with social distancing, that means everybody will have to be two meters apart. That means they'll need more space, so we'll make more money." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thinking, but I mean, no, 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 that's, that's not really how it's going to work. Uh, I, I mean, this situation is not going to continue indefinitely. You don't make, I don't think that there will be significant uh, real estate investment based on the fact that uh, every, everybody needs to be two meters apart from everyone <laughs> else. I mean, yes, it will continue for months, maybe a year, but eventually, I think that it's already. I mean, if you go, if you walk around town, it's already basically sliding. You can see yeah. people being much closer. Uh, there is, you know, more people wearing masks. There is caution. But um, I think that 
we are just too tired of the whole exceptionality of the situation. So we're kind of going back to not normal in the sense that to what it was before, but we're going to back to something which is much more similar, much more that we don't feel as an extraordinary situation. Until wave two hits. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, there, at this point, uh, they will be fine-tuning the situation. So it will be, you know, close it a little bit, release it a little bit. Yeah, certainly, um, yeah. They're learning a lot. I mean, it, it, there's grounds for criticism in some of the way they've handled it so far, but certainly there's an awful lot of smart people working out what's happening and why, you know. Um, and we'll be better able to deal with it the next time around. And I think that's, again, one of the things going forward. You know, we've talked about this before, we shouldn't go around it again, but just the whole difference in how you perceive management and how you how you achieve things in a world that's less predictable or less stable and you know this this particular challenge will no doubt diminish eventually although there are some very bleak propositions that may never go away at all but um there'll be something else i think that there is um you know management in general is going is facing a an incredible change um, and I think that actually people working remotely is a very important aspect of this because uh, you know if you want to be efficient you need to be able to start creating a, a situation where there can be a synchronous work in order for that to work you need to have build trust and you need to have much more sophisticated ways of communicating than, uh, you know, real-time conversations. So you, you basically need to be able to live with way less meetings. And uh, I think that companies either, I mean, companies that f figure this out will be more successful. Organizations that figure this out will be way more successful than other organizations because other organizations that just try to do the same work but uh, in zoom calls i mean it's just less efficient they will lose efficiency companies that actually use this and i'm been thinking about this a lot because you know we work with a number of startups that uh, use fractional resources so they don't have full-time people they might have one or two full-time employees but then you have you know consultants and uh, experts that actually work only for a fraction of time so if they don't crack the nut of uh, being able to be asynchronous uh, they really struggle because you know if if you only have one day a week of somebody and you use two hours of the time to have a meeting you're just wasting time but virtual or not i mean uh, it just it doesn't matter no exactly but i think that the the, the fact that is virtual and the fact that we're moving some of this communication more and more to to slack to other channels probably partially also because we're just mentally tired of all these uh, video calls oh it's hard work it's draining yeah it it might you know create opportunities uh, for people to learn what is and i read this uh, in uh, in an article that i think was originally written by uh, matt malenweg from from wordpress um where he's describing different uh, i think five levels of uh, you know an organization working remotely and uh, 
and there is a note that really struck my attention that basically says when you go asynchronous, you need to hire good writers. I was just going to say, so I'm so glad you said that because I was uh, waiting to say that I, uh, the thing that gets me excited about this is it will make more people think harder about how they write and what they write. And and that was always the magic of blogging and it, it, doing it over years makes you think harder about what you're trying to say and learning how to say it as concisely as possible and with as much clarity as you can achieve so people don't run off and think the wrong thing. And I would love it if more business was conducted in quality conversational writing. I mean, it's what got me excited about the whole lot in the first place. Um, and that, that, I think, is something that, you know, I would certainly love to be sort of teaching or, or coaching execs on. How do you how do you say what you mean in plain language um, in a way that other people can understand it? I think that the the real challenge is how do you optimize other people's time? And this is probably something that managers at least in some type of organization are not really used to so the thing is you know you cannot send to somebody a link to a one hour long video saying oh you know there is this <laughs> is know. very interesting and so <laughs> i'm not spending one hour to watch this tell me what is interesting here yeah the 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 fact that the burden of being understood and of passing you know, being able to pass on a piece of information is on you, is not on the recipient. You need to do everything you can to be understood in the shortest amount of time with the least possible resource. And that, and that thing of just passing on resources, I've, I've been reading about a, a note-taking think philosophy, I guess, called Zettelkasten. It was a, a German professor, and it, it means um, card index cupboard sort of thing, you know. And it's the principle of taking lots of notes a lot of the time and connecting them to each other. And in his day, it was just putting date stamps on the cards and then relating that to another card that had the same date stamp. So I've been faffing about with text tools, trying to, to get it to do that. In fact, Draft has just come up with the ability to do wiki links from one note to another, so I'm a, a very happy bunny. But the point of all that was, rather than just snipping um, quotes out of documents or, as you were saying, just sending somebody the link to the document... The principle of Zettelkasten is also to write down what you have taken from that bit of information, what it means. And in the process of assimilating it sufficiently to write it on that note, you have learned so much more than just copying and pasting the quote from the from the article of the book. And I think the same thing is true of communication in business. Don't just pass noise around. Um, try and write some signal. And that is the challenging part. I mean, that is yeah. because I guess the problem is that writing is not a skill that is necessary to become a manager or that was necessary to become a manager or a mm -hmm. leader in general. Or they deferred it to somebody else. They got somebody else to write it for them. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, but they, they in that case, you need to have somebody else coming with you all the time, following everything you do and, and storytelling. So in any case, Escalating the importance of this, you know, you remember we used to call the narrative of work, mm -hmm. is, uh, I think, becoming prominent and important again, if you want. I, I, yeah. don't, think it yeah. ever, it, I don't think it ever went away. It's just that probably it, it wasn't interesting enough for me for many, many years. And now that I'm here and I'm seeing this, I said, well... You know, maybe we can have another go at this and try to make it better. I'm actually trying to to adopt a very simple. I, I'm going to try with one of our portfolio company to just use Slack as a blogging tool. Hmm. 
I'm going to set up a Slack channel where I will only accept blog style, blog post style content. Right. And uh, I'm just going to erase anything that doesn't match the style. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to curate it. And and the, the what I'm trying to figure out now is how do I show them what? Because I have very clear in mind what you know a blog post is. The mm-hmm. the length, the rhythm how it should sound, what, how it should look like. But it's very hard to, to transfer, to teach this to other people. Yes. Uh, because you end up either having people writing essays that are be, be completely yeah, yeah. useless and boring, uh, or maybe people not writing anything because they're uncomfortable with it. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's tricky. And, and I think that probably they should take writing classes. Yeah, well, I'm, I, even having done this, you know, my degree was in English. I, I love reading and writing. I've written a blog for nearly 20 years and I have just bought two more books on grammar and syntax and good writing because I just love, you know, I'll remember about a tenth of each of the books that I read, but I just still love squeezing as much value out of, you know, the 140, whatever it is nowadays, characters on Twitter or the three or four paragraph long blog post. And uh so much writing. In fact, I've got a, a topic for a blog post that's sort of gestating at the moment called "Squandered Words," and just how many words are squandered? <laughs> you know, if you might imagine with us a finite limit in our lives of how many words we could use, and in the written communication in most businesses, just how many of them are pissed up the wall at the moment? You know, it's it's a tragedy. I'll try to see if there is any budget I can squeeze out of it to hire a blog teacher. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, you should you you should find a nice title. Um, the blogmaster. Yeah, the, yeah. No, but it's uh, <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> no shit, really. <laughs> but but see, that's the thing because it then turns into there's so many, you know, social media experts who will tell you how to write killer content you know but they have no idea i mean the i know problem is, the problem is that we, I mean, I, I, every time i hear create content i just i know get annoyed about an it. angel dies somewhere i know yeah it but, that, but that's so that's so that's sort of related <laughs> that, by, that, by, that goes back to the grumpiness about hs2 about joe rogan and, and russell brand or about chief execs who get somebody else to write their weekly blog post you know, it's about communicating with people and, and having a respect for the people you're trying to communicate with and a genuine desire to genuinely help them or make their lives better um, is rare because a lot of people just get paid for filling the internet with noise. I think that the key word here is that you write to help others. I yeah. mean, you write because you want to empower other people. Exactly. And uh, not because of your ego, not because you want to sell them something, not because you want to convince anybody of anything. And uh, that is a tricky proposition because I I think it doesn't come natural very often in in many organizations. No, but partly because we're self-conscious. You know, so a friend I was talking to was saying she was very nervous about public speaking and, you know, I was trying to dig into why and... 
it was all about being found out or found wanting or not being good enough or looking stupid or being laughed at. And that's still the prevailing feeling as people expose themselves by opening up and, and offering the thoughts out into a public space, you know, whether by, by speaking or by writing. Um, and again, it's partly made worse by the sort of pack mentality that's unfortunately developed in a lot of social media where people will jump on and, and vilify, you know, ridicule people for, for looking stupid. But I think, it, you know, there's so much scope for us to help each other to get better at writing and helping, you know, and that, and a lot of that will take place in the context of work. Now, there is, there is a lot that can be done in this space and there is a lot that still needs to be done. I, I, I think it is interesting that this situation is uh, at least in my mind is reopening a whole number of opportunities and ideas that uh, I don't know I kind of feel like I want to help people solve this again I'm not saying I can but but I'm saying no but I'm we know to, we know I'm more willing than to we try yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, something that uh, oh, oh, honestly I had given up on this uh, quite a while ago I know well, Dave Weiner and me both both enjoy reading your blogs, Paolo. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I have two readers, and my mom too, I think. Did I just say reading your blogs? I did, didn't I? Jeez, your blog posts. You only have one blog. Sorry. No, it's just I get really grumpy when people said, "Have you seen my blog?" And I, my new blog, and I think, "Oh, have you set up a new Squarespace instance or something?" And what they mean is my recent blog post. So I said I enjoyed reading your blogs. I didn't mean that. I meant enjoy, I enjoy reading your blog posts. Okay, I, I'll, I'll edit this out. <laughs> no, leave it in. It's educational, Paolo. Education. If it stops one person talking about their blog posts as a blog, there'll be less dead angels. I actually, I must say that recently there, there have been at least a couple of instances where I've found people who I would not expected to write blog posts. And when they did, I was like, yes, I, now I <laughs> see I, you're just like me. I love you a little bit more because you said <laughs> blog post and not it's, blog. It's true. You get that little, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. But let's say that at this point, I went from being annoyed when people say blog, which is doesn't make any sense because they do that all the time. Yeah. Just being positive. You see, it's about, about being positive. Now, I've been every time somebody says blog posts, I love them a little bit more. So it's uh, I'll, it's, I, I, it's I'll try good vibes. I'll try. I think that's a good <laughs> note to end on, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a great note to end. So thank you very much for listening. It's uh, very important that uh, when you meet any of us, you call them blog posts, <laughs> and we'll try to respond appropriately. Stay safe. Bye bye. <laughs>